All right. To the glory of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Young boy, five years of age. He knows something disturbing is going on in the household. He just can't put his finger on it. At five years of age, you don't know much. Fast forward seven years. He's now a boy of 12. And he's heard the, the phone ring and the strange female voices on the other end. And he's seen his mama's tears, and he's seen her broken heart. And he begins to understand a bit more. He sees wedding rings being thrown around the home and promises that this is the last time. It's over. This is the last time. Finally, fast forward a little bit more. The boy is now in his 20s, and he begins to understand that his daddy for 20-plus years has had extramarital affairs that has broken his mama's heart and caused it to scar over. Scar over to such a degree that, he has, that she files for divorce, and the marriage is ended. A few years later, this same young man realizes that his father's father, his grandfather, was unfaithful to his grandmother and would take his father with him to visit other women. You see, it became clear to this young man that the sins of the father are visited to sometimes to the third and fourth generation, like the Bible says. And I'm telling you this story because I was that boy and I was that man and I lived that life. And so the father's son visits the children to the third and fourth generation. I think that's why Jesus is so strong on marriage and so strongly against divorce because he knows the pain it can bring. And that's what I want to talk to you today about. Divorce is never a private choice of one individual. It affects everybody. I know we've made up terms like no-fault divorce, and we make up terms like amicable splits, but my friends, when it comes to divorce, there are no no-fault divorces, and there are absolutely no perfectly amicable splits. Divorce hurts people, and I know it's like a pebble. You may think it's singular and solitary, but you throw it into a pond, and the ripple effects affects family and friends beyond you. So I suppose that's why Jesus wants to talk about that today. And I want to turn to Mark chapter 10 and kind of walk you through this and see what God has to say about marriage and divorce because it's, it's near and dear to my heart. Chapter 10, verse 2. So we've got Jesus teaching his disciples. He's walking around, and some Pharisees come up to him in order to test him. And they ask this question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Is it okay, Jesus? Now, that's not really a question, is it? Because he says that they came to, to test him. They came to trap Jesus. They don't really want to know the answer to that question. It's a trap. So what's the trap? Well, if he comes out as being really weak on marriage, he'll be sending the wrong message to his disciples. Marriage is from the mind of God. It's a sacrament. It's a holy thing. Doesn't want to come out weak on marriage. But if he comes out too strong against divorce, guess what? Then something that may happen just like happened to his cousin John. Remember in chapter 6, John calls out King Herod for his immoral relationship with his second wife Herodias. And because the king was called out in immorality, they cut John's head off, put it on a platter, and delivered it to Herodias. See, if he comes out too strong on divorce, the same thing might happen to Jesus. 
So it's a trap. So what does Jesus do? He, in rabbinical fashion, he turns the question around in verse 3. He answered them, what did Moses command you? In other words, what does the Bible say about divorce? Then they answered Jesus saying, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Now this is your classic no-fault divorce, right? Your woman, your, your blessed wife, she burns supper one too many times. You pull out the pink slip, write your name at the bottom, deliver it, and hasta la vista, baby. The Pharisees, they're like, yeah, we can just write a certificate and be done with it. That actually is a law. It goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 24. And the law was a civil law. And it was meant to protect a woman in the case of divorce. But by the time of Jesus, they had turned it from a protection from women's rights so that men could use it against the women that that law was supposed to protect. It was a civil law. It was a concession that was supposed to protect women, but now has revealed the hardness of the human heart. And that's what we see in verse 5. Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses wrote you this commandment. So it revealed the sinfulness of man's heart. Now, Jesus is going to actually paint a great moral picture of what marriage is supposed to be from Genesis in just a second. We've got here, though, a picture of a fallen law that was used against women. How can the Bible support both of them? All right, you don't want to think Scripture contradicts Scripture. So here goes. Civil laws in Deuteronomy 24, like this law about divorce, are no longer in control of a Christian. In other words, civil laws were things that... that allowed a civil society to coexist. We, of course, our civil laws now are the United States of America. Jesus came to fulfill all the laws of the Old Testament, and certain laws like civil laws no longer apply to us. So civil laws we don't need to obey. Ceremonial laws were another sort of law, such as keeping a kosher kitchen. Raise your hand if you keep a kosher kitchen. Probably not very many of us. I love my pork. Uh, I love, you know, Peter's got that image of these, these wonderful animals coming down from heaven in Acts chapter 10. God says, pick up and eat these animals. And Peter says, Lord, I'll not do it, God forbid. I've never touched an unclean animal in my life. And God says, what I have made clean, you don't call unclean. So God made things clean again. And Jesus fulfilled the law. So we don't have the ceremonial law that we have to obey. We don't have the civil law that the Pharisees are applying divorce to. But what do we have? We got the moral law. The moral law is for all people everywhere because it reflects the very nature of God to the world. One of those is thou shalt not commit uh, murder. Of course you shouldn't murder. God is the author of life. We protect life as Christians. We didn't say, well, that was in the Old Testament. That's no longer, uh, uh, we're no longer under that law. Of course we are. That's God's moral law. It's his reflection to the world of who he is. In fact, the Bible keeps saying, God keeps saying, be holy as I am holy. God keeps telling his people that, be holy as I am holy. Paul will say in Ephesians, um, he will say that we are growing into the full stature of of Jesus Christ. So we're growing in holiness, and that's part of, of what our calling is, to grow in holiness. 
And so the moral law is a picture of that holiness. And that's where Jesus ends up today. Look now at verse 6. Jesus paints the picture of a sacramental marriage, God's divine intention for marriage since the beginning of time. And he says this, But from the beginning of creation, verse 6, God made them male and female. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. All right. God made them male and female. Remember how that happened? We got one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we know that God is relational and personal. God is also love. And God, who is the Trinity, said, let us make man in our image. So he poured into the image of Adam his relational being, his love, his spirit. And so Adam is an imprint of God on earth. God put part of his image into Adam. Now what happened next? God said, it's not good for you to be alone. So he took something out of Adam, the side of Adam, the rib of Adam, in order to produce a helpmate, to help Adam get through this life and to be holy as God is holy. Now, you, you get where we are so far. So God created them male and female, Adam and Eve, in his image. And so when Adam and Eve come back together and flesh becomes flesh again and they join together, they are re-imaging the original blessedness that came from God in the first place. Let us make man in our image. This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And when we're together, this is worship. We're re-imaging the original blessedness of God. Second thing, because they're dissimilar, man and woman, male and female, they can be perfect helpmates to one another. I know that Leslie has strengths that fill in my weaknesses, and I have strengths that fill in her weaknesses. And we're perfectly capable of being helpmates because we're male and female. We, we're helpmates because we can come together and be better than we are as individuals. That was God's intent, to overcome loneliness in marriage, to give us helpmates, and for us to re-image the original blessedness of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the God of love. Now, if that's God's intention, here's what Jesus ends up with. What God has joined together, let no man separate. See, doesn't that bring us back to the certificate of divorce? This is God's design, God's ideal, God's stamp of approval. This is a holy thing, and men aren't able to undo what only God has done. God has blessed this marriage. You can't just write a certificate and in a cavalier, frivolous way get rid of your spouse. That was never God's intention. That was not what marriage is supposed to be. That only happens because of the hardness of human hearts. God's plan from the beginning was this beautiful plan of walking together in holiness and giving yourself to that other person. So that's the definition of marriage. Christian marriage goes beyond that, though, even beyond what Jesus says. Because Christian marriage is an example of the gospel in our lives. I mean, think what Jesus has taught us so far about discipleship. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. 
Doesn't a marriage work great when you take a place of humility and you exalt that other person as being just a wonderful creation and that you're so blessed to have him or her as your spouse? Jesus says, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Isn't that what, what marriage is about, denying yourself and pouring yourself into the life of another person in order for them to grow in holiness all the days of their lives? I think that that's what marriage is about. I think that marriage, if you're going into marriage thinking that I need a person to make me happy or to complete me, you got a problem. Because what you're doing is you're putting so much stress and pressure on a person in your life, you're asking that person to do something that they cannot do. In fact, you're asking that person to be your savior. And that's not something anybody should have to do. So marriage is not about making you happy. It's about pouring into another person. It's not about finding a savior to make you complete. It's about being complete and a savior so you can pour your life out for others. Gary Thomas has written a book recently called Sacred Marriage, and he asked that very question. He said, what about if God's design for marriage is not to make us happy, but to make us holy? And isn't that what Jesus designed it to be? Two helpmates walking together, strengthening one another, pouring into each other so that we'll come to heaven together. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 5. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, he didn't love the church because she was lovely, right? He loved the church to make her lovely, to make her beautiful, to pour into her his sacrificial blood so that she might be redeemed and made sacred. So Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water and the word, so that we might he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any other such blemish, that she might be holy. Jesus gave his life for his bride, that she might be holy. Now, that's the gospel, right? We don't go to Jesus, and Jesus doesn't say to us, I'm going to love you because you're lovely. He said, I'm going to pour myself into you and make you lovely. And at the moment we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we become part of a large family that, that's a loving family called the church. And when Laura Lee was married yesterday in the Bowman wedding, she became part of a larger family. She said yes to her bridegroom. We say yes to Jesus Christ when we accept him as Lord and Savior. See the image of marriage in the gospel? But the second thing happens. Jesus comes along beside us as our helpmate in salvation. And he pours the Holy Spirit into us so that slowly but surely we're being sanctified by his grace that we become something beautiful and holy, that we could become holy as he is holy and he would present us to the Father without spot or blemish on the last day. Isn't that what you want for your spouse? that you will walk beside her and encourage her or him in such a way that at the last day you're go both going to be able to stand before Jesus and present each other holy and blameless before the Father. Isn't that what, image, what marriage is about? Not to make us happy, to make us holy. And I have a few other things to say. If you're divorced here today, yes, know that divorce is not part of the grand plan, the moral uh, fiber of what God wanted in the beginning. It was not God's moral intent. However, 
The cross of Jesus Christ can remove any stain, any guilt, any pain of your past. Behold the Lamb of God. He takes away the sins of the world. Just embrace that. My mother was, was terribly hurt by years of pain and suffering, but she was able to lay it at the cross of Jesus. And I would just ask you to do that today. If you've been hurt by divorce, even if you're a kid like me who, who was hurt by divorce, leave it at the cross today. Jesus can redeem it, forgive it, so that you can become a new creature. And secondly, if you are single today, don't let anybody tell you that you're incomplete as a single person. In fact, the Bible kind of says that the weaker people are the people who need to get married. Did you know that? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, 8, to unmarried people and to widows. He said, it's good for you to stay single just as I am single. Uh, in other words, Paul was a great guy. He, he was complete in his relationship with Jesus. That is all he needed. And he said, that's the best kind of person you can be who finds your completion in the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of Jesus himself. He never married, did he? And he's the, the most perfect man that ever walked the face of the earth, fully integrated, fully joyous, fully full of life and joy because he found his completion in the Lord God. And so if you're single today, be complete in your relationship with Jesus. And if that person comes alongside you and one day you do get married, your relationship with that person is just going to be icing on the cake because you're already going to be sustained and fulfilled in the joy of the Lord. And that person will be blessed because you're complete in him. And finally, if your marriage is on the rocks, think about how important Jesus said marriage is. Fight for it with all your might. Fight for it. Don't simply write that certificate of divorce. Live into the holiness and the ideal that God had for sacramental marriage. Bring brothers and sisters around you to help you fight in your marriage. Find a good counselor. Come to worship together. Pray together. Ask God to restore your marriage. He's faithful. He can do it. God's intent for marriage is a gospel representation of Christ's love and self-offering on our behalf. Divorce is serious business. It has ripples that tear families and friends and others apart. God never meant for marriage to make us happy, but to make us holy, that we might be holy as he is holy. So cherish these things in your heart. And I'll pray the prayer that we prayed for Laura Lee yesterday and uh, in the Bowman wedding. We pray this prayer, God, give us this marriage as a sign of Christ's love to this sinful and broken world, that unity may overcome estrangement, forgiveness, heal guilt, and joy conquer despair. Make us holy as you are holy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.